We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and the Lakers have signed DeAndre Jordan. He's not the biggest signing that we've made this offseason, but he's the one that kind of crystallizes, in my mind, what I think the plan is going to be. But before we get to all that, Darius, very curious on, on your thoughts on DeAndre Jordan. Curious, are you? You're, oh, yes. Yeah. So, in, so indeed, you're curious? I am, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you're curious about my feelings about DeAndre Jordan signing. So, up front, I'm not the biggest fan of this move. And we'll talk more about DeAndre Jordan's game, of course. I'm not going to sit here and trash DeAndre Jordan. Like, he's he's a Laker now. And so, in the past, I have harbored a certain amount of dislike for certain signings and I've just carried that and it makes your daily life harder I feel like when you're actively you you bought the vacuum and you don't have the receipt okay that's right you can't take it back so it's time to maybe the dust is comes out in the wrong way and like it but but you know it's yours now yeah I didn't go to Costco for this one I can't just walk back in and say hey this was yours can I get my money back right and so so if you go through my Twitter feed, like y'all remember the Byron Scott era, the Byron Scott era was a special era for me and my Twitter feed. And so I've resigned myself to not be like that anymore. So Jordan was not my ideal signing at center. He's a player who I don't really think is as good as his name value anymore. And this is the first signing for me, really, that is more based off of, like, I know this dude's name. Or, like, I don't know about like you guys. Reputation. But, but, yeah, reputation. Than- like, like we have a lot of interactions with a bunch of different types of Lakers fans, right? And, and I think basketball fans in general are sort of like this. And there are fans who follow the game very closely, And there are fans who don't follow the game as closely. And DeAndre Jordan might be a litmus test for the difference between 
like those different poles of fandom, right? Because you could be someone who is sort of just a casual NBA observer and you will probably recognize the name DeAndre Jordan and you will associate that with a certain type of player, like a very good defensive player, um, a guy who is excellent on the backboards, a guy who is um, a dynamic finisher in well in the paint. And that was DeAndre Jordan at one point in his career. He is not necessarily that player now. He still brings some of those attributes to the table, but it's not as consistent anymore. Um, and, and so for me, I would have... I would have not necessarily gone in this direction. That said, I do understand the signing. And so when you premise this with like, it sort of crystallizes things for you a little bit in terms of the Lakers, like, do you want to get into that now? Or Mike, actually, what, like, what, like, what are your thoughts about the signing first before we dive into that direction? Well, so what I would say about the whole, the name thing, right. Being different from the player is that, presumably he's coming on a minimum deal, right? And the way that he was able to come out of Detroit. So it, it's all like that has to be tied to it. And therefore, what is his yeah. place on the roster? So if you're bringing a player in to play a huge role and their name is a lot bigger than what their game is at that point, then that's one thing. But I would say this is similar in some senses to Carmelo Anthony, where big name, but you can't, you, you don't want him starting and playing 35 minutes and taking all the shots anymore. So I, therefore I'm a little bit less concerned about it overall based on if, if I'm going to think about where Deandre is on the roster, it's not the guy that has to be playing and has to be starting and is playing every night. Although he very well could start, but it would be in the way that JaVale McGee started where it's about, you know, 16 to 20 minutes at the first in the first quarter and the third quarter, unlikely to play crunch time may not play at all in playoff series because of the, what you were getting at a little bit, Darius on the basketball side and how you can kind of attack him defensively in a way that the athleticism, even though he's, he's 32, he's not 38, but the way that his game is like that prime athleticism is more important than it might be uh, for somebody else. So it just, Pete, to me, it all depends on what the plan is and what the usage is going to be. And if he ends up being your, you know, your, your guy that is either the token starter then I think that that's okay in the way that JaVale was, but I don't see him as being the guy that you're going to need to count on uh, because you have other players on the roster that are going to be needed in those situations. I think JaVale is an appropriate comparison because I think that it will be a, a similar role in that I do think that Jordan will be in the rotation and play during the regular season, but come playoff time, he's got defensive issues to the point where unless it's a very specific cir circumstance, it's going to be difficult to keep him on the floor. And But I want to talk about at least my theory of what the plan is. This is not informed by any conversations with anybody in the Lakers organization. This is just my random thoughts. What I think happened was last year, we started the year, you know, we signed Mark, we signed Trez, and we're excited about them. And they're good, they're good players, but they're different types of fives than the JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard combination. And I think in the biggest place where they're different is in terms of vertical spacing. It's pretty much the opposite, right? Mark doesn't provide any of that. And Trez is phenomenal around the basket, but he has to have a bit of a runway and, and clearance to catch a lob, right? He's more of a going to cut into the open space, receive a bounce pass, has had, has great hands, all of that. But lob threat, he was that wasn't really a central part of his game. 
I think that we went through the first part of last year. And again, that's when I, you know, really started bringing up, oh, the half court offense is, is struggling. Like I know it's early in the season. I get all of the circumstances, but like we're not where we should be in this aspect. My theory is that there was some conversation at, at some point where we said, we need to get back to vertical spacing. Vertical spacing is essential to what we do offensively. And so who do we sign when Mark goes down with COVID? We signed Damian Jones, right? It's not just that we sign a, a, a player who's who's uh, got himself an NBA contract, right? And, and looked very good with us. He shot like 92% with us. But that's part of the point, right? Is that when we do put a vertical spacer back in there, all of a sudden this guy is shooting 92% and dunking everything and the, the offense looks better as a result of having that type of player. That's why I think that the Andre Drummond signing was part of that was that, hey, we've got this guy who is also capable of defending on the perimeter, can defend in a drop coverage, and isn't a lob threat the way that a Damian Jones is, of course, but is that guy that you can throw lobs to. And then he connected with uh, with our guards and LeBron in the few games that they played. That is the under... That is the foundation under which I've believed that we've been out on mark for quite some time, right? Is that 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 change in vertical spacing is something that we 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 had it during the 2020 season. We went away from it to start the beginning of the season, and then there was a an organizational shift. Again, my theory, and that's it. Saying we actually need that a lot. That that's really important, and. I agree in general with like I'm not I'm not doing backflips that hey we signed DeAndre Jordan but I think that what this is D is a callback to the 2020 season offensively and for his defensive faults he's actually I believe a good fit on the offensive end in part because of this. So Darius to to kick this back to you and and not to give you more ammo for that original take but just looking at effectiveness on the floor last year you know, DeAndre was not effective in, with in terms of the numbers for Brooklyn. So overall, net rating was minus 1.9 um, on a team that was obviously very good. Jared Allen, on the other hand, who s- somewhat of a similar game, but just a lot younger, a lot bouncier, was a plus 10.5. And then Blake, once he got there, was a plus 10.7. Mm-hmm. So just the, I'm not all about the net rating, but it's just a guide to show you, you know, that in certain playoff situations, especially DeAndre wasn't on the floor for them, and they, as a team, didn't play as well. Now, different team from the Lakers, and I think he'll fit in better. Uh, and Pete, maybe maybe your hand up there was to signify. No, no, I was going to oh, ask, okay. you, I was, I was ask oh. you what Claxton's was, because I think Claxton ended up being, if you still have yeah. that page pulled so up. So Claxton plus 12.3. Yeah, so, exactly. And I, I think Claxton yeah. essentially is the DeAndre Jordan replacement. Uh, that, that's what ended up happening. Yes, right. So, so, right. So obviously, so Jared Allen got traded, right, uh, at a certain point, And then Claxton became the backup big who was playing more. DeAndre would start sometimes. Uh, then he would sit. Then eventually, basically, Blake and Claxton were splitting the minutes in the playoffs. So I, and maybe, Darius, I'll use that then to set up this question for you. Uh, and and you, obviously, you can just ignore that if you want. But do you see this structure that the Lakers have with LeBron, with the rim pressure that he brings, potentially with Russ, where that that guy really is more just catching lobs, you know, and, and as opposed to the way that Brooklyn ran their offense. Do you think that's something where you can account for some of that net rating, or does that just play into your point? No, I think that the net rating stuff, and I haven't looked at the numbers, and so, but I would venture to guess that a fairly good portion of those net rating numbers probably relates to defense. More yeah, so his offensive numbers offense. are actually solid in a, in a number of different areas, but defensively, absolutely, that's where it shows up. 
Yeah, yeah. What he was, yeah, minus, you know, one fourteen point eight uh, on on defense, and then offense. You know, offense still a little bit lower there, but like one thirteen. So yeah, yeah and defense was the yeah. And when you look at the numbers for the other centers, Allen and Claxton and Blake, I would imagine they're probably in the like 107, 108 range. Like a good yeah, like Claxton, six Claxton or, 102, Allen 107, Blake yeah. 110. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I'm saying is that the difference in net rating is almost all baked into defensive effectiveness. Now, if you want to talk about why, so let's talk context some, because I think this is really going to matter if you want to, uh, so I'm gonna play devil's advocate, Mike, against my own argument earlier and offer some thoughts on why Jordan could be a better fit for the Lakers than he was for the Nets. The Lakers with Jordan on the floor are very likely to switch less. Yeah. He's only a one coverage big. He's, he's a drop guy and he's, I'd argue a below average drop guy. And the nets wanted to switch more. Right. Right. And it's one of the reasons why Jared Allen, besides what his price tag was going to be down the road, As an expensive player, you just saw the contract he he got from the Cavs. He got a five-year, $100 million contract. The Nets already have three Supermax, basically, players in KD and Kyrie and Harden. And paying Allen $20 million a year to be their token starter, basically, at center, isn't isn't an appropriate valuation, right? And so that said... Allen is not a switchable guy either. Claxton, on the other hand, proved to be a much better switchable big man at his size than the other options. Claxton's not an elite switching big man either. He's not Anthony Davis out there. He is, but he can hold his own enough that he's a more viable multi-scheme defensive center. For them, And I think that that's probably why out of all of those defensive ratings that you cited, Mike, Claxton's was the lowest, right? Allen was at 107, Blake's at 110, Claxton's at 102. And it's because he can play a different style and he can play into the strengths of the rest of the team, which is switching. The Lakers aren't very likely to ask DeAndre Jordan to switch at all. They're very likely only going to ask him to play the style of coverage that he can be best at even if his best is probably no longer as good as it needs to be right and so if you're going to argue in favor of Jordan on the Lakers as being a more effective player for the Lakers it's likely going to come down to his fit within the scheme and the asks in which he's asked to perform and the overall defensive mantra of the of the coaches and of the players that he's going to play play with is going to be more aligned with what his skill set is. And I think you're going to try to coax out of him the best version that he can provide at this stage of his career. And is that going to be good, good enough? I have my doubts. W- will it be potentially better than what he could give the Nets? Probably. Right now, that's on a scale, 
too, Pete. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not super encouraged by any of this. And I think on a certain level, comparing him to JaVale is nice in terms of role, but JaVale's one of those freaky athletes. And DeAndre Jordan was like that too, but he JaVale's was. super mm-hmm. long and he really is a different type of dude, JaVale mm-hmm. is. Jordan is not that active anymore. His motor does not rev as high as JaVale's does. And, and so it's important even when we assign roles to players that we don't think that just because you're going to be asked to play that same role that you're going to actually perform it the same way because I don't see that coming from Jordan personally. There are a couple of different types of drop coverages uh, that usually depend on either how deep you're dropping as the big man or what your guards are doing over the top. And Jordan's, like I said, I, I, I view him as a below average drop big but his best coverage is the no a no roller behind drop right that's something where you're asking your big to not to show and contain on the ball handler but still get back to break up a lob he can still do that right that's something that is he if you ask him to show higher and at the level of the ball screen the guys the ball handler is going to go around him if you ask him to trap or switch anything like that that's not something that he's going to be able to provide but one of frank vogel's preferred coverages in fact his preferred drop coverage is that no roller behind coverage that is part of the reason why this crystallizes to me what i think the plan is going into next year so let's take a quick break and when i come back i'll talk about what i mean with that we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So with Jordan fairly limited defensively to this one coverage, while you're correct that JaVale, JaVale could get to certain shots that Jordan can't get to anymore, right? But that, in terms of being like a no-roller behind only drop type of big, JaVale was that too. That is the scheme that you would run. And that asking your big to do that has a chain of reaction that it impacts what the other four players are doing and what they're asked to do on a particular play. So with that in mind, Mike, this is something that you, to, to your credit, was were always like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't think AD is starting at the five. I actually think that there's a decent chance that Jordan does. I know that sounds, that might sound crazy and that 
that doesn't necessarily mean he's a top 10 most important player on the team, similar to, to the JaVale role. But I think it's much likelier now either Jordan or Howard start. And we see kind of a replication of the minutes and rotation of what that 2020 team looked like where we do start big. I don't necessarily like that with Russell Westbrook in particular. I, I want to get more into like the positives because I do think that the um, – the way Jordan can react to Westbrook on offense. I think Jordan actually will be very helpful on offense, but in terms of the minutes and rotations and lineups, Mike, I, I very much see a return to what we did a couple of years ago. Right. And so the question then that I would have, and we'll see how all of this impacts, you know, Marcus Saul and what's going to happen there. But do you have a stretch five option, you know, that, that isn't Anthony Davis and, like, are there certain times where you do you really want to ask, you know, like Carmelo to essentially play a stretch five if AD is on the floor and then he, you know, so he in, in a sense defensively can play the five in those certain spots? Or are you are you going to go to maybe some more of those lineups? Because the one thing that I do like that neither DeAndre or Dwight has was that being able to space it, especially now that Westbrook is on the roster. And that that does seem to be the position uh, that. You know, again, unless we'll see what happens with Mark, and if he if he stays, there's a chance that he could still do some of that. But that that is the spot that I'm still kind of curious about. But I do think that just to go back to the earlier point, that DeAndre can replicate some of what Javale does without necessarily going for every shot block. So he's at least he's going to be more of a true drop guy, where he's like he's just back there. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, and sometimes JaVale, by blocking the shot, is going to go like it's it's good in some senses. And then some coaches don't want guys to go for every block. So there's right. a bit of a balance there where, yes, he can't get to every shot anymore, but you don't necessarily want your dropping big to get to every shot. So that's what I'm curious to see is if the Lakers feel at some point that they need to they need to have or at least would like to have that option versus just Pete, the philosophical thing that you're addressing where, no, let's get the bigs that do the classic protect the rim you know, drop in and can catch lobs. And when we go small, let's, we, we want Anthony Davis in that spot anyway. Yeah, I think that's essentially what it is. And when we didn't have AD two years ago, and again, I don't know the degree to which we're just trying to copy the formula of the title team, but Keith was our not AD at the five option. And if we're going to go that route, this is easy to forget because the series was over at that point, but we ended the Phoenix series with LeBron, LeBron playing five. Yeah. yeah, you know, so I think that LeBron is a possibility, especially as he gets older and looking at the rest of the lineup, which is, smaller right i think that that lebron as that backup stretch five is an is a potential option there how do you see this d if the other team decides they're going to play a straight up power forward or like a power wing as their big guy then yeah lebron can play the five or against the clippers the first season the championship season there was a stretch of the game where ad was not on the floor and lebron was the only big guy on the floor and there are definite advantages to that if you're going to play marcus morris at center okay good luck here comes lebron james yeah right and then and what is marcus morris going to do to him on the other end right well also too yeah and if and if marcus morris is your biggest defender and now he has to defend lebron james then that's even worse that's even worse (laughs) Right, right right Because at least if Morris is coming as a help defender, he is like a bigger body that might deter LeBron if he gets in rotation quick, quick enough. But if he's your 
point of attack defender against LeBron, and then LeBron gets down downhill. Guess what? If it's a guard who is the guy who is supposed to step over, that guy is going to make a business decision, as Deion Sanders used to say. And just to underscore, I this is something that we kind of, I think now, and this has happened to LeBron his whole career, that we can kind of just skate over. But it's a pretty big deal that you can just have LeBron James to go and play that role. Like that, that can win you. All, that's a whole series difference maker. Like, cause, cause the other team, so. you can't handle it. And we always just, well, yeah, I guess LeBron could play center or power forward or small forward or, and it's why I always get less concerned about this whole topic in the first place, right. About Deandre Jordan and his role. But yeah, I, I just wanted to underscore that point. Darius. Well, that's the thing though, is that the other top teams in the league, right. The top two teams in the East are Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Right. They both can play that card, too. Right. Like, oh, you want to go small? Okay, have your have your small dude defend Giannis. Have have your small dude defend Kevin Durant. Right. Right. And 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 so other teams have figured like if you've got that multi positional monster. MVP candidate guy, that's always going to be the X factor. And the Lakers are fortunate to have LeBron James. They're also fortunate to have Anthony Davis, who is the destroyer of that idea too, right? Like, oh, okay, yeah, you want to go small and play LeBron? Well, okay, well now, hmm, guess what? I have Anthony Davis too, right? right. And so now- We're a tough team to go small against. Yes, and, and so- AD is, he is the code breaker. He is the guy, he is the cheat code. He, he, he is that trump card. Anyways, in getting back to this idea of Jordan as a, as a potential positive, because I do think we should go down this road a little bit more. I think it's important for us to sort of distill this a little bit more because I don't want to look at this as like, oh, this is just terrible because any player, and I'm a true believer of it, in this idea, any player in the right size role when put in the right position to, to succeed can help you, right? Mm-hmm. It's a matter of how much do they hurt you as well? And can you limit how much they hurt you as well from the way that you deploy them in to that role? So talk to me more, Pete, a little bit about distilling this idea out. You know how yesterday in the Sabalos podcast, we talked about positions that have come and gone, that idea of that mid-post wing that you'll see a Jimmy Butler here or there, but there used to be a whole bunch of guys that would be these shooting guards, small forward size guys that operated a lot out of the post. And that's not really as much of a thing anymore. DeAndre Jordan was one of the first lob threat bigs in the NBA, right? I'd say Tyson Chandler was probably the first and he preceded Jordan by a few years, but the idea when it really started catching on was right around when Jordan came into the league. And so he was never supposed to have a post-up game, right? He's got a, a little lefty jump hook and can hit the righty jump hook sometimes, but very basic stuff. That, But that was never his job. And that was the first time in NBA history where you could really be a five like that unless you were like Mark Eaton or someone like that that was just a big physical body shot blocker. But so it's been – The reason I bring that up is watching tape on him, it's fascinating to watch a lob threat get older in that 
I remember DeAndre Jordan at Texas A&M. He was one of my like draft guys. You know how you randomly catch a guy and you're like, that guy's going to be amazing. And like, what? He went in the second round. That's crazy. Well, he's one of my guys that worked out. I love DeAndre Jordan in college. And he was able to just catch anything and everything around the rim. And he's not that guy anymore. But what he has, but, but, but where he has grown, and this is somewhere where I'm looking forward to watching him. And I, I really enjoyed watching Dwight for the same reason in his last tenure with us is there is a, a skill and craftiness to that element of the game that does not get enough attention because it, by nature, it's big, it's loud, it's a dunk, you know, it's thrown way in the air. This guy freaking slams the rim, you know, slams it and then screams and you don't, it's easy to miss a lot of the the craft that goes into that. Jordan has a phenomenal understanding of angles, of how to get open, of timing, his timing on when to roll, on when to dive directly to the basket versus banana cut, where you kind of loop around and maintain the angle between you and the passer. The uh, he it, Tap out rebounds, he's going to get you several per game where in this league that li- does like to squi- switch or does require guards to kind of put a body on a big a lot he knows exactly how to get those tap outs and russell westbrook is the best guard in the league at gobbling up tap out rebounds that and so that synergy between russ in particular and even lebron that ability to put pressure on the rim um he our our ball handlers were will create advantages that he knows exactly how to exploit and he's still a very good finisher around the rim he had more dunks last season even in the limited time that he played than any of the fives that we've had save for javel's first year and so he had he had 130 you know some odd dunks he averaged almost 3 dunks per game and so part of that it D is because he's not skying through the air the way that he once was but there's a craft and technique and IQ and understanding that on the offensive end. Oh, and one more thing. He is a great off-ball screen setter. This is still true. He had that chemistry with J.J. Redick for years on the Clippers. Him and Wayne Ellington, him and Malik Monk should be able to be very effective off-ball action. So offensively, I actually like the signing quite a bit. If he provided... I, I hope I'm wrong about him defensively because he could actually be quite helpful on, on offense if he can give us anything on the defensive end. The offensive part to me is interesting so throw into that, we I keep making this JaVale comparison just just because it seems to make sense, right? Because the type of player and size. But on that team, LeBron was the point guard and usually had KCP on one wing and Danny Green on the other. So you had the spacing that way. And then you had AD, you know, somewhere on the on the weak side and who could come over and be involved in actions. Now here, Russ is going to be on the ball. Most, I mean, not every time, but on, on a lot of possessions. And so then... Where's LeBron? And then if where's AD? And if DeAndre's coming up to set that screen, you know, like that that to me is where it's a little bit harder to visualize. Like I get it with Ellington, and then Jordan could be screening there, but it's this is where I need uh, I need you guys and some X's and O's to help my brain because it's it, it seems a little bit clunkier in that setting when you basically you're you're replacing Westbrook with either Green or KCP. Mike, it is clunkier, and I don't want us to start a non-spacing five next to Westbrook. Those are if I think that's what we're going to do. But I think that that and maybe the purpose of that is over the course of the year to innings eat right to not put AD at the five and for an, a whole year and take all of the the beating that comes with that, and then come playoff time make this make the switch. But like, it, it, there is no X's and O's. Like there are 
there is a way to physically overwhelm them. If you get out in transition, stopping that group of people, Jordan's still a very good rim runner as well. That's another uh, aspect of, of the offensive game that he really impacts. So I think the idea with the starters, D, is to run like hell. But like there is no way of scheming around. If you don't have shooters on the court, they're going to flood the paint, like Mike said the other day. They are. So I do have ideas because I always have ideas. Whether or not ideas work is, <laughs> is, sure. is, is like a whole nother thing, right? And Let's so Russ on the ball – Shooting guard, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Malik Monk. Strong side corner. Jordan, strong side elbow area coming up to set a ball screen. LeBron is above the break near the shoulder area of the three-point arc. AD is spaced to the corner. If you're running pick and roll, and two guys then now are collapsing to the paint, right? Russ is trying to get to, to the paint. Jordan is rolling and you've got your shooter strong side corner. You don't help off a strong side corner anyway. So that's almost a dummy action. Ultimately, the Lakers, I think, are looking to try to create both strong and second side actions with two elite ball handlers and two elite finishers at the rim. Right. If I can if I can jump in on this point, because I think you're right. I think the concept behind that is try to attack the defense with these bigger, faster, stronger athletes. Right. And try to break the defense on the first try. But you rarely you're not going to break a defense on the good on the first try. So you drive that first thing gets stopped by the defense. You skip it across the court to the other side where that's skipped over to a Russell Westbrook or to a LeBron James. And now it's LeBron and DeAndre Jordan instead of the Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook on this side. Again, not yeah. saying it's going to work, but I think that that's absolutely what it is. And then maybe you break the would defense. Jordan, like, would you would you just rescreen then? On the- yeah, that's just a pick okay, and roll. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So if it's a ball screen on, on one side and you skip that over to LeBron and DeAndre, that's a side ball screen. That's two-man game on the wing. That, that You run that all the time, and now that's against a defense who – all five players defensively, their defensive responsibility just shifted. You're the help guy. Oh, all of a sudden you're closing out on the ball, right? And so eventually the defense breaks if you could do that enough times. Also, too, so imagine this sort of action, too. So it's sort of a semi-transition opportunity, but nothing develops. Braun is bringing the ball up, and Russ is already Russ is leaked, leaked out, all right? DeAndre Jordan has rim run, but there's no action there. AD is trailing. And then the other guard sprinted weak side corner, right? Mm -hmm. So in that case, pistol action, Russ comes up and gets the ball, dribble handoff with, with LeBron. And now LeBron is sort of mid post area after handing the ball off. To Russ, that flows right into a LeBron post up. AD and then AD spaces weak side corner dribble exchange like exchange with Monk. Right, let's use Monk for an example here. Or he sets a pin screen or whatever. And so now AD is spacing above the break. LeBron in the post and DeAndre Jordan is now the player who is drifted to the dunker spot weak side post and that's a classic lakers alignment right there lebron in the post russ with the post post entry ad opposite wing and then shooter weak side corner and if you want to exchange that again ad you space to the corner and it's now monk or ellington who who has come up to 
to above the break. And that's a classic Lakers alignment. They've been doing that under Vogel for the two years that he's been the head coach. That circumstance you were talking about, that classic Lakers alignment, got me thinking too, we kind of got away from our weak side dives. It's when that weak side guy dives. So say that is AD on that weak side wing, right? And the ball is in the post with LeBron. And we've, we're facing all of these zone, zone-ish type coverages off of the ball, right? As, as we often do. And that's Anthony Davis cutting in. That's why, Mike, I think what happens off of that is the guy who's in the corner is going to lift up to the wing, filling the spot that AD just left. And so AD cutting there, you have to respect that. If you don't tag him there, it's going to be a dunk. It's LeBron to AD with, you know, AD cutting off of the ball. There's a great deal of gravity there. That's why, Mike, I think that if we start Dwight or DeAndre Jordan, I think the odds of an Ellington or Monk starting rather than Bazemore go way up precisely for that reason where you need at least one guy. Like you can put your guys in position to where the ball's going to end up with my shooter more often than not, especially during the regular season. But you need at least one dude that's like you can't leave Wayne Ellington. You can't leave Malik Monk. So that's yeah, why yeah. I, I, th- that's where I, I I'm going my, with that. If you want to know how it works. My yeah. ba- no, my, th- my original thought, we, like we have to have a discussion again, right about that two guard spot. Cause if I agree, if, if it's not Gasol that's starting and you're starting a, a screen roller for sure, then I do think that you have to, you have to pair that with a knockdown shooter. And if Bazemore is shooting the ball, great. That's one thing, but we know that Ellington's going to get the respect from the defense right away. And the coaching staff can, can just draw up so many more actions that way, you know, with, with a guy like that. So I, I think that's probably, I would lean towards Ellington if they do start either Jordan or Howard. I agree. Let's not overcomplicate this. The Lakers spacing is going to be crappy. It's going to be crappy. And you know why it's going to be crappy? Because defenses are just like, oh, hell no. You starting all these dudes who all they want to do is dunk? Well, we, we're going to stick all of our dudes right in the paint, right? And, and so th- when you talk about X's and O's and concepts and all of this stuff, that first action that I described where it's just like, oh, yeah, look, it's LeBron in the post off of a pistol action. And there's Russ doing a post entry. And there's AD spacing to, to the corner. And DeAndre is in the dunker spot. All that sounds great. I could draw you the X's and O's sure. and I could show you how the spacing should work. I could also tell you in re- in reality where the defenders are going to stand, right? And yes. the de- and they're going to stand basically right like someone shooting a free throw. That's how they're going to look. That's right. And that's exactly why you need at least one guy on the on the weak side where you're like go ahead. Like Bazemore can shoot. Wayne Ellington is a shooter. And Guard LeBron in the post like that. Put a foot in the paint uh, as a weak side defender with LeBron in the post with Wayne Ellington on the weak side at your own peril. And that is that is what – like, yes, our spacing is going to be crappy. I would argue just having one guy out there resolves not 100% of the problems of that, but that is a different team at that point. I would also argue, too, that this is where the relentlessness of a guy like Russ matters, right? So LeBron uh, – Yeah. Mm-hmm. LeBron – is going to be much more picky and choosy, right? He is a connoisseur of driving, right? He is like, ah, yeah, not this time, guys. I'll take that classic red next time I'm here, right? I'm going to be picky <laughs> this, this this time. F- p- pinky finger off of the glass, LeBron, when that comes to him deciding 
what he's going to do on any give given possession. He is not just going to put his head down and barrel in nope. there. Not during the regular season. Now during no. the playoffs, even then he's going to be choosy. He may be a little bit more forceful, but he's going to be choosy. Well, there's a physical, there's a decision-making within that too, where like if he does that throughout the regular season, he knows that opportunity is there in the regular season. By the way, just he'll, worth it. he'll do it in crunch time a couple times. Uh, for sure, yeah, for sure. Obviously, yeah. In well, any also too, just to, just to get a foul or something like that, right? Just to make something happen. Russ, on the other hand, Russ is just like, oh, you got five guys in the paint. I do not care. Right? I like, like it. I don't care. <laughs> let's let's and, go. And there are times where that's a good thing and there are times where that's going to be decidedly a bad thing right but the the idea of i don't care if you're in there or not and i'm going to put my head down and maybe i force up a shot this is where the idea of bigger stronger faster matters as well right and so a guy like jordan a guy like ad a guy like lebron Though when those guys, when you have to keep those guys off of the glass, as well as help on a guy right. who is relentless, who is as relentless as Russ is, that's where that chain reaction that Pete always talks talks about comes into play more often because you've got someone at the tip of the spear who is playing with force as well. And if there's a thing that LeBron has done less of as he's aged. It's exactly that. It's I'm just putting my head down and getting to to the rim time after time after yeah. time after time. Yeah. Like especially during the regular season, he's just not going to do that at this stage of his career and nor should he be expected to, right? Like it's just 60,000 minutes in, that's not it. But, but yeah, Russ but I think is still that level of guy to me. And that's important in terms of puncturing the defense and getting the initial compromise of the defense that leads to that chain reaction. And that's why you know Russ is going to be so important exactly like you said man that constantly attacking the rim and that's I'm so excited about our scramble situations this year, like the transition game, the scramble game. There's all of these elements of basketball that I've never really, really dived into that I'm really looking forward to doing that this season because I think this is the perfect team to do that. And I think that we're going to dominate those spaces. I am fascinated by this squad. We will be back next week. We've got a couple things lined up. We've got a guest lined up on Tuesday that I'm excited about. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. 
with a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.